Welcome to Coastline Church, seeking renewed faith in Humboldt County by being settled and secure in God's love. To learn more, visit coastlinefoursquare.com. So wouldn't you agree that, that we are being bombarded by all kinds of other voices today? You know, they tell us to buy this, don't buy that, you must, you should, you could, <coughs> believe this, don't believe that, you need this, you don't need that. Think like we do, don't trust them, and whatever you do, don't trust yourself. You don't have the capacity, they, they tell us, to, to know you know, what is good for you. But most of these messages are in direct opposition to God's word. And so uh, his voice tells us what is good and pure and right and noble. And we should think on those things. But listening to God, the world's messages will create in us a real sense of confusion and despair and disillusionment for the believer, and but there's a cure for that, thank God. You know, God has made a cure, and that's his word, his truth. Amen. And um, we've already heard that it doesn't, it doesn't come back void. It doesn't return void. It does everything that it's going to accomplish. Why? Because it's God's word, and he's behind his word. And so I'm going to show you the comic strip. Oh, there we go. Okay, this is Pigpen. I love this kid. Just how would you describe Pigpen, Violet? Dirty hands, dirty face, dirty shirt, dirty overalls. A perfect description. Well, she forgot one thing, Pigpen says. An immaculately clean conscience. You know? You can say whatever you want about the outside, but there's an inside here, and it's clean and pure. And oh, that we would all be able to say that. And I think that's what God says about us, because that's what he's developing in us, an absolutely clear, conscious, an impeccable one. So he knew all about those other voices that were talking about them. You know, Lucy and uh, her cohorts, they were constantly commenting and giving updates on Pigpen's appearance and his behavior. You know, opinions are like belly buttons. Everybody has one, but that doesn't mean it's a good one or that it should be shared with others. And like Pigpen, Paul had an absolutely clear conscience too. He wasn't looking backwards at his past and what he had done. He was looking forward and marching on with Jesus. So in Acts chapter 20, which Paul covered last week, we find that Paul is listening to lots of voices. As some say go, and others say stay. Some warned him, others wept with him, and some wanted to kill him, and while others were trying to save him. So he knew that there was only one voice, one important thing in his life that he followed, and that was the will of God. And life or death could, could sway him from his determination, his stubborn determination to follow the God's will for his life. You know, it kind of all started in Acts 9, where God is talking to Ananias, remember, Saul, 
he had the scales on his eyes and God had told Ananias, come on over here, you're gonna pray with this man, you're going to give him his sight back, and so he did. And God said, <clears throat> when Ananias said, him? He said, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So we're going to fast forward to Acts 20 and 22. And Paul is saying goodbye to his friends in Ephesus. And he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And there was such weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and they kissed Paul. They kissed Paul, being sorrowful most of all because of the word, the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face ever again. And they accompanied him to the ship. He had a destination he was about to go to, and that was back to Jerusalem. And Paul says to them, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem. Constrained by the spirit, that means that he was compelled and to go quickly and directly to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was his mission statement. So Philippians 1.21 chimes in to that same message. It's, Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. I gain it all. I gain heaven. I gain it all. It is Christ's spirit working in and through Paul that empowered him to continue with his calling. And Paul was not focusing on the risks. He was focusing on the rewards. We would be wise to do also. Paul's calling was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And this was his purpose, his duty that he felt towards God. And he remained steadfast and faithful to the call, willing to give his life for the advancement of God's kingdom on earth. The will of God was greater than his desire to stay alive. So let's start in 21.1. Okay, and when he had parted from them and set sail, he's on his way to Jerusalem now, we came by a straight course to Cos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And having found a ship, crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we have found sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. Okay, so these he was boarding those, those first three uh, ports. He was on a coastal vessel, and these, these were smaller ships. They stayed close to the coastline. They would stop every night. Everybody would get off, they would spend the night there, they would get back on in the morning, and they would go on to the next next port. But now he said he got onto a bigger ship, and he sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre. For there the ship that unloaded its cargo, it unloaded its cargo. And so this was a larger ship. It wasn't a prince's cruise. It was out to sea a little bit farther. And so for the ship and loaded his cargo, and having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, 
they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So here's another voice. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city. And kneeling down on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. This reminds me of the last time I preached, uh, which was uh, Acts 16, where he found Lydia, and he went to the river where they prayed. And it's like he was constantly looking for a place to pray. And so we have... My gosh, you could pray in your car, in your house, at the beach, at the, you know, fun house, whatever. I even saw a person who was driving a bus and he was praying while the bus was empty. He was in there praying. Oh my goodness. Pray constantly. Pray on it. Pray through it. Pray in it. Pray. And then they went on board the ship and they returned home. When we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived in uh, Ptolemais, and we greeted the brothers and stayed there with them for one day. And on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist. Now you remember Philip, he was one of the seven who was put in charge of the widow, feeding the widow uh, and the orphans there in Ephesus. And so we meet him again, Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. You know, that's such a strange sentence, except for that yeah. only a parent has bragging rights, right? <laughs> hey, four daughters, unmarried, prophesied. These are choice babes. <laughs> These girls were actually the embodiment of the prophecy in Joel 2.8 that was in Acts 2 and 17. And Peter was speaking. He says, And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. And even my male servants and my female servants, and they were considered the very lowest class in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. God is an equal opportunity God and he plays no favorites. Even, even Paul later in, in one of the epistles, he says, I wish that all of you, I think it's in Corinthians, I wish all of you would prophesy. And guess what? The Holy Spirit in you will prophesy if you allow it. So while we were staying there for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt. Now, Agabus had prophesied uh, earlier in Acts that there would be a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. You know how you know how a prophecy is true? When it comes true. When it actually happens. Okay. So here we are, Ag Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his feet, and his own feet, this is Agabus's feet and hands, and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews in Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when he heard this, we and the people were, urged him, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart. I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And since he would not be persuaded because he had stubborn determination to see things through, they stopped and said, let the will of the Lord be done. That sounds kind of like in, in our, our prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's always best to pray that over a situation. And you know, there are some things that we can't change, nor we meant to change or to hold on to when it comes to grief and sorrow. Our best prayer at that point, when we just can't pray anymore, is, Lord, your will be done. Put the situation in God's hands and trust him with it. Because only God sees the bigger picture. Only he knows what is needed and what is ultimately best for the whole situation and for the people involved. So on to verse 17. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. They received him gladly because when Paul went around, he would collect monies for the, the um, yeah, and contributions for the other churches that weren't doing as well. And so they were really happy to see him. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders of the church were present. And so they arrived at Jerusalem and they met James and the elders and Paul began to tell them, he was telling them all the things that he had done in his ministry. And they said, wow, thousands upon thousands of people believe because of you, Paul. But we have a little problem. Okay? These Jews are zealous for the law, the old ways of Moses. You now have two different cultures converging together as one, and you would expect sparks to fly, and they did. Because Paul believed that new Gentile converts who were living amongst the Jewish people needed only to adhere to three things, three things, so that they would blend in and not be a, a problem to the Jews that were there. And remember, it was to abstain the sacrifice from idols, from uh, blood, uh, anything that's strangled, and from sexual immorality. And Paul and the, the officials, the Jerusalem council um, at Ephesus thought that this was enough. He didn't want to burden them with, with all the Jewish laws. And so um, this way they would blend in and they could partake in, in and they would not offend the Jewish rituals. However, they thought that you're telling the new believers not to circumcise your, your children, not to, not to uh, walk in according to their Jewish customs. And so they were highly offended, these Jewish people. And so they devised a plan, Paul and um, James, that in order to pacify them, and to clarify this misunderstanding, that he should go undergo the seven-day ritual of the Nazarite vow, is a purification vow. I mean, they couldn't drink or eat anything from raisins or any kind of a liquor. It, I mean, it was very uh, strict. And then at the end of it, they would shave their heads. Would you be willing to go through that? It was such a strict... Uh, purification right and he was to pay for four other men and that would show the the Jews that he really was 
observing their Jewish laws, and he was he was agreeing with it. So he was showing that he was living in in observance of the Mosaic law, and this fits Paul's statement when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 2, I have become all things to all people by all means that I might save some. I do it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So when the seven days were almost completed, The Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this temple. So moreover and over, he even brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they have previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian and him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune or the cohort. And they had uh, around the, the, the city, they had uh, like lookouts on either side and they had men, soldiers stationed at the top so they could look down into the courtyards everywhere and see what was going on. And they were brutal. I mean, they didn't want any kind of a riotous or a violent or a mob or a, a protest or any aggravation. They kept a very strict law. And so, and, and you know, it says that they supposed. Have you ever assumed or misunderstood or misinterpreted or thought you knew something that you were willing to fight for, only to find out later that you it wasn't what you thought. Right? Me too. Then the city was stirred up and it became riotous. You remember Pigpen, who had a cloud of dirt surrounding him everywhere he went? Well, I see Paul, wherever he went, had a cloud and an uproar of mayhem and riots and... <laughs> protests and all this stuff going on around him and he, he was jailed for it, he was beaten for it, he was left for dead for it, and he was kicked out of town for sharing the gospel. But it never made him quit. Quitting is not an option with Jesus. On to verse 32. Oh, uh, let's back up. Okay, they seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple and at once the gates were shut and as they were seeking to kill him, Words came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. It's like catching a kid with his hand in the cookie jar. Not me. Then the tribune came up and arrested him, ordered him to be bound with two chains two chains that means he had a soldier on one side holding that chain and he had another soldier on that side holding the other one it kind of was overkill <laughs> so he inquired who he was and what he'd done and some in the crowd were shouting one thing and some another and he, he could not learn the facts because of the uproar and so he ordered him to be brought into the barracks and when he came to the steps he actually 
he had Paul carried in by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd for the mob of the people followed and said, away with him, which meant kill him to them. Where do we find in scripture where the mob were saying, kill him? Jesus, crucify him. Don't give him a chance to explain. Just away with him. So as Paul was about to be brought to the barracks, he said to the tribune, may I say something to you? And he said, do you know Greek? Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 men of assassins out into the wilderness? Again, a misunderstanding, mistaken identity. <laughs> Paul replied, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Sicilia, a citizen of no obscure city. This was a big city. I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. And then he, when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in their Hebrew, their Jewish language. And they grew even more quieter so they could hear him. Brothers and fathers, he called them by names that he, indicating he was one of them. Look at me, I'm one of you. Hear me, I'm one of you. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. I believe that Paul would say this to each one of us. 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus will be persecuted. One way or another, the enemy of our souls wants to take us out and he's waiting in the wings to pounce on you and me, seeking whom he may devour. And why is he out to get you, to detour you, to steal, kill, and destroy from you? Because you hold a very important position in God's kingdom. You may not be a Paul or a Peter, but you can be you, the best you that you can be. For God has given you a spot, a position, and, and he wants you to fill that spot, that position, actively settling in it, standing in it, guarding it. Don't walk away from it. That's what God expects from you, to actively fill and fulfill that position that he has given you in his kingdom. So don't believe the lie that you don't matter. You matter, right? And because you matter, the question has to be asked, what are you willing to do for the name of Jesus? Paul said, hey, for me to live is Christ, for me to die is gain. It's all his. It's all his. It's all up to God. What are you willing to do for the name of Jesus? And can you say with conviction, Lord, whatever, wherever, whenever, however, I'm yours. That's what I want for my life. That was Paul's mindset. 
He knew God had a plan for his life, and he didn't have to understand all that that implied. He just had to listen and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. You might say, well, hey, that was then, this is now. Things are different today, are they? Are they really? What would Paul be like today? My mind works in mysterious ways. So this is how I see Paul. I think he would be driving a VW Vanagon <laughs> because there's no permanent housing for him. Or maybe a bicycle with a great big basket on the front for all those flyers that he was going to be putting around. He would definitely be a recycler. No harm to this earth we live on. And oh my goodness, don't leave anything behind. He'd be a registered voter. He'd be the first at the ballot box ready to vote his faith. He'd show up at the school board meeting in order to check the policies and keep our children safe. And he'd be down at the courthouse with the biggest sign against abortion. Honk if you are against abortion. He might even run for office, any office. And most importantly, he would share the good news of Jesus with anyone and everyone, encouraging them to actively walk the way of Jesus. Paul is such an interesting character. And I think I've heard it that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament because he had something to say. He had a story that he wanted to, to share with others and let them know what it's like to serve God, what it's like to walk in Jesus' shoes, and, so, and many of the things that we should be doing as believers in Jesus. And I love all of his writings. But you know, like I say, he was encouraging them to walk the way of Jesus. And so should we. We should be like Paul. More so we should be like Jesus. So let's pray. Lord God, um, so much left out, but we're going to learn more next week as the story continues. Your story always continues. Lord, the same Holy Spirit that was working in Paul is the same Holy Spirit today, and it's the same Holy Spirit tomorrow for all of eternity. Lord, and I thank you for that, that you have given each of us that gift of your Holy Spirit, that we might walk in your way, that we might think your thoughts that we might act out your actions. We are your hands and feet, Lord, and I pray that enablement every day. So Jesus, bless us as we come and as we go, and we give it all to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today at Coastline Church. To find out more information, please visit coastlinefoursquare.com.